Mountain Sun. Welcome back to the Comic Con. My name is Ryan. And I'm Manny. And we have Mark Millar on the show today. So stoked to have him on. I mean, like, there's so many comics. I mean, like, Civil War, Wolverine, Ultimates, all the stuff you've done with your own kick ass. You got a couple great books coming out right now. Ambassadors, I mean, it drops tomorrow as of the day we're talking, issue three. So we're super excited to have you on. Thanks for having me. It gives me something to do in the evenings, you know? <laughs> so uh, first off, like, uh, I'll just ask you, you know, you are like, you have so many different concepts you're constantly bringing. So I just want to lead off with like, what is your creative process when you're developing and bringing uh, like all these like unique and different characters into your comics? Do you know, it's funny you say that because I found a piece of paper a couple of days ago and there was 25 lines on it, you know? And it was rough ideas for things. And this piece of paper shows up every six months in the hole that is my office, you know, just now and then it resurfaces. And I wrote it like 20 years ago, you know, and it was like all these ideas for projects, like very loose ideas and everything, but pretty much every one of them I've kind of done, you know? So what I do is I, I maybe come up with a kind of very basic idea and then it percolates for five years or 10 years or whatever. And then I forget I was even going to do it. Then it pops back up again. So my subconscious, I think, is is writing this stuff. And then I, I get super excited about it and then just start going. You know, like the project I started yesterday, I first started thinking about 10 years ago, maybe, you know. So so it's kind of like a teacher said this thing to me in school. She said, if you're ever struggling with your maths paper, just start it, put it to one side and then go and do something else. Then come back and your subconscious will have taken care of it. And I think stories are the same. Same thing happens. Yeah, I mean, look, I just the different types of stories, the different different types of genres. I mean, like you have so many different artists you work with, like yeah. um, so many different influences come through in all your different causes. And like you're probably one of the most prolific writers. I mean, you're constantly working. You never stop. I mean, you have a Netflix deal. Obviously, everybody knows about that where your stuff's adapted, but you still write comics like you like technically like you don't really have to like you're you're probably pretty well set off. But I love that you still have that passion and love for the medium. You know, I think that that's really cool. It's even weirder than you think because they don't adapt my comics. What happens is I create them as projects mm -hmm. and then they get adapted into comics, which is really weird, right? So like uh, in the old days before I sold the company to Netflix back in 2017. Oh, sorry. Hang on. Everything's coming. I'm just doing a podcast, guys. I'll catch you later. Okay. So that's mm -hmm. my kids coming on that. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think all, the food is right behind me, so the kids are going to be like, how do, we, how do we survive the next 30 minutes? But um, yeah, so what happens is I, 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 me and a whole bunch of brilliant artists created all these concepts we sold to Netflix, you know, as comic books that they would turn into movies and TV shows back in 2017. So that's owned by them now, the way that Disney owns Marvel, Netflix owns Mellow Worlds. So if I get hit by a bus tomorrow, it would make any difference. You know, that's, that, that's owned by those guys. But then they actually offered me a job as well, you know? So they said to me in 2017, look, we really got on well. The negotiations, which went on for like a year, you know, the negotiations um, went great. We're on the same page. Do you want to come in and be an executive in Netflix to be a studio exec? And we'd love you to oh, create wow. courses, you know? So a lot of people don't realize this. I mean, it always drives me nuts when people say, oh, Miller just does it, does these comics to become movies and shows. Because it's the opposite. What I do is I create them as franchises within Netflix itself. And then for free, I write them as comic books. So I, I say to the guys, because, you know, Netflix isn't a comic publisher, but they know I love comics, right? So they said to me, well, we'd like you to create all this stuff. You know, it's a Magic Order, Prodigy, Sharky, Space Bandits, King of Spies, all these things, the ambassadors, these things were all created as television shows or movies. 
But I said, look, I don't want to be out of the comics game. Like, I didn't get into this to get into Hollywood. I love doing comic books. And they said, well, if you want to do it, do it, you know? They said, and they gave me one specification. They said, you must do it with the greatest artists in the world. And I was like, I'm in. Okay, that sounds good, you know? So, so, so I literally write them for free. And it's so weird that there's... I don't know, five this month or something. And and I do it for free. You know, I do it for fun because I love it. Yeah, I think that kind of leads into something I wanted to talk about. Like nightclubs, a dollar ninety-nine. There's yeah. no dollar ninety-nine comic books in the industry anymore. I mean, it's a very expensive hobby nowadays. Yeah. Like it's so you have to be almost kind of selective in what you buy. What was yeah. the idea behind that? I just love doing crazy stuff, you know. Like I, I like the idea of like when everybody else is putting their prices up, let's just try and put our prices down, see what happens. And you know, the, the economics of it, um, thanks to supply chain issues and everything, means it's impossible to make any money on it. You know, we, we do it, like I say, for fun. Like a one ninety nine comic, by the time you pay the, the retailer, the distributor, uh, you know, ordinarily you've got roughly a third of that coming back. You know, you've normally got, say, 70, 65, 70 cents. Um, and that's okay because it used to cost 12 cents to print a comic. But with supply chain shortages, paper has become so expensive and it, it's now about 70 cents to print a comic. So basically all your costs are taken up. One ninety-nine means even if you sold 10 million copies, you, you will never make a profit, you know? So just in the current system we're in. But you know what? Netflix, you know, are very generous people, you know, and they, they like the idea of just doing fun stuff, you know? So, so even though it wouldn't make them any money or anything, they're kind of like, let's just do it. You know, let's get people excited about this stuff. I wanted to ask you a question about the ambassadors because I've been enjoying it from from issue one and like what was the uh, what was the uh, what sparked the idea of having a different artist uh, draw each issue you know because you have Frank Quietly with the first issue you have Travis Charest yeah. on the current issue and like you know they're all doing like you know career like career level work over here yeah. so why why a different artist for each issue. Well, it's funny before the ambassadors for years I'd always thought I'd love to do a project. Where all the guys who I'll never get to draw something for five or six issues, all do I get to work with them? Like Travis Charest took three years to draw that one issue, you know. So if I tried to do a Beautiful. six, oh a six a six issue storyline would take eighteen years, you know. So <laughs> I, I can't do that, but I love Travis so much, and I, I've been writing Travis fan mail since I was in my early twenties, right? You know, I've been writing them uh, fan mail since I, since nineteen ninety three. I saw his first ever printed gig. And I got in touch with him. It was so good. I was so blown away by him. Um, so, like, how do I work with him? And how do I work with Frank Whiteley? And Frank Whiteley has made a ton of money now and everything. Jupiter's Legacy made him a, a ton of dough. He doesn't need to do a 12-issue run on something anymore. He's not at that point in his career. And I was like, just give me one issue. Just come for one issue because I love you. You know, I want to work with you and everything. So I knew I wanted to do a project. And I looked at all my list of projects. And the only one that fitted having a different artist every issue, because it would drive you crazy normally, wouldn't it? You know, if you're sitting reading a Spider-Man comic and there's a different artist every issue, you know? The ambassadors, by its very nature, change location and change lead character every issue. So I thought, that might not drive you crazy. That, that I could see that working, you know? So that, that's where it all came from. And I'm so happy because Olivia Coipel, you know, Matteo Scaleria, Matteo Bufagni, and Carol Kershaw. I mean, these are A-plus guy, A-plus list guys. I'm like, Marvel and DC have got to start trying harder. You know, like we've got we've got some good guys here. I think that's been evident in every single book that's come out of Miller World stuff is that you work with the best artists in the business and you pay them. You know what I mean? Like they get paid probably, well, I'm sure they get paid better with you than they do with Marvel and DC. Oh, that's how I get them. I say, what are Marvel and DC paying? 
and they tell me, and I'm like, we'll, we'll pay you much more, you know, and then they'll, they'll, they come over, you know, so, and, uh, you know, so it's, I mean, you pay people properly, you get the best people, you know, it's like, that's my philosophy, things like, everybody who worked on Mellow World's uh, books before we sold the company had a 50% stake in the comic books, we, I, own, I owned half and they owned half, so when we sold the company, they all made a lot of money, I mean, about five of those guys have retired, you know, based on having oh, wow. done, based on having done four or five issues, you know, so they made more from, I mean, my God, something like Nemesis, for example. Steve McNevin and I made more money, way more money from Nemesis than we did from Civil War. And Civil War is, I think, still the biggest seller, and certainly the biggest selling graphic novel in Marvel's history, you know? And we made way more from Nemesis than we did from Civil War, you know? So so the guys have done well, you know? But they deserve it. They've done amazing work, you know? How do you, when you're like deciding an artist to work with, because like I've said, you work with so many different artists, do you cater? Um, especially now, like maybe not before, but now that you're writing it first for Netflix and then turning into a comic, how do you decide like who you're going to put on each project? Are you thinking about the artist when you're writing for Netflix? I've always got an artist in the back of my mind for who I want to work with over the next couple of years and I'll book guys in, but I've maybe got four or five projects I'm spinning at any one time. So I think who's most appropriate to that project. So for example, there's some guys who are not very good at, or when I say not very good, it's just not the strength to do locations or something like that, you know, or are they not particularly good at action? They're much better at talking heads and everything, you know, so so you learn this stuff. It's the same way that, you know, Judy Dench, you're not going to put Judy Dench in Fast and the Furious, you know, it's like, you know, she's a brilliant actress, so you put her in something appropriate to Judy Dench. And it's the same thing with, with, with comic book guys too, you know, like, I think I've got a pretty good eye for it though. And I think it really helps being a massive comic book fan and, and it amazes me actually how many people aren't massive comic book fans. It's so weird because I've never met anybody in the film industry who doesn't know everything about film. And I've never met anybody working in television that doesn't say, hey, you know that episode of The Rockford Files in 1979, episode four or something like that, you know, like they're encyclopedic. And I feel comic book guys have to be like that too. You know, like I, I, I can tell you the difference between 1975 lettering and 1965 lettering. You know, it's like, it's like the passion in my life, you know, like, so I just think, unless you love comics, don't do comics, you know. So uh, I don't know if you want to talk about it, because I mean, uh, until now, I've seen our ads, but what can you tell us about Big Game? Because I'm pretty excited about this crossover, and uh, I know it's going to bring a number of your properties together. So, uh, I mean, is it all of them? Can you tell us which ones? Can you give us any hints? Because personally, I'm super stoked. Every time I see the ad, I keep theorizing what might be going on in my head, you know, so. I, I cannot wait to be able to tell you about it because I've wanted to do this book for literally maybe five plus years, you know? So I've been planning it all this time and it's every single one of my properties all coming together into one story. Um, and, you know, when I was a kid, you know, you had Secret Wars, you had uh, Crisis and Infinite Earths and everything, you know? And I think they slightly get devalued because these guys cross over all the time. They cross over in events like three times a year or something, you know? And yeah. then on top of that, they appear in each other's books and everything. But I've never crossed my characters over before, you know? So, and it's, they've been around for 19 years so far. This is us coming into the 20th year. So it's really exciting seeing them coming together. And, and I, I had to pick somebody who didn't feel like a step down. Like, think about this, right? Imagine you have somebody amazing drawing one of these books, which I have in all of those things, you know, you've got Greg Capullo, Stuart Eminem, you know, Olivia Coipel, whatever, drawing all of these books. And then the guy who draws the crossover does crappy versions of characters you've seen drawn by Olivia Coipel, you know? So you, you, you have to find somebody who's A plus list and that's Pepe Larraz, you know? Like I, 
I waited to do this project until I had exactly the right guy. It had to be somebody that it felt like they were up to the task of this, you know, like this, this has got to be big. And I, I kind of loved it as well because in one month I stole DC's biggest guy, which was Jorge Jimenez for Nemesis. Yeah. And I stole Marvel's biggest guy, which was Pepe Larraz. So I felt like the Joker or something like that. I was just going <laughs> to Robin, Marvel, and DC. It was great. Yeah, I'm very excited for that. I mean, like, I love all the properties and to be able to see, like, what you're going to do to kind of combine them. And, like, Pepe Larraz was a huge pickup for sure. Like, I, I saw that name and I was like, he did it again. You know, like, because I saw Nemesis at Jorge Jimenez. I'm like, He's taking everybody. He's taking all the, like, they're not going to want to go back, you know? <laughs> the day I got them, when, when I announced it, I put a, a picture up on Twitter of Tony Soprano just sitting back thinking, and I copied Marvel and DC to it, you know? So, <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of wanted to ask, like, you know, talking about Jorge Jimenez, um, what was the decision to kind of not have Steve come back was like, and do a reloaded kind of version of it like rebooting but not quite rebooting and then like having a different artist well steve's under contract at marvel so we couldn't even get steve for a variant cover which was such a shame you know because steve and i are good friends we worked together civil war old man logan and nemesis um but the reason is um a couple of things actually one of them is i wanted to integrate nemesis into miller world which it didn't really fit before you know and the other thing was I was never entirely happy with the story. Steve did an amazing job in the art, but the story just felt a little rushed. And I, and it sounds weird, you know, but, you know, sometimes five years after the project, your brain percolates, you know, and you say, I think, God, that, that would have been a much better way of doing this. And I restructured the story and did something quite different with it. And it builds up to something that's actually really, really cool. So I wanted, um, you know, like every 10 or 15 years, Superman and Batman and The Flash and Green Lantern, you know, they get these facelifts. And I thought, I'm going to do it myself, you know, the, I'm just going to do my own facelift here and just did it. And people love it, which is great. So um, the one casualty is that the Steve story is not within the Miller world continuity, but it's always there. It exists in real life. You know, people can go and still pick it up. So this nemesis in Big Game is the one with Jorge Jimenez. So it's this version. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Yeah, yeah okay. very much. Yeah. yeah. So all, all these current comics all tie together. Mad Order 4, Nightclub, um, Nemesis Reloaded and the Ambassadors all very overtly in the first issue of Big Game all smash into each other, you know, and then there's a whole bunch of um, other things seed in from that point as well, but Big Game is not um, it's not what anyone, uh, you know could, could possibly guess, it's a whole new thing, it's really exciting, I'm really happy with it, I think the first issue of it is maybe the best comic I've ever done in my life, so I'm, I'm really pleased with it, it's good what property i mean uh, magic order is going to be is that the next one that netflix is producing as a as a show um, but the next the next one actually is american jesus is out in a, oh. uh, this summer this summer so american jesus the first volume of that chosen is coming out it's called the chosen one and it's coming out from netflix this summer um trailer should be up quite soon actually for that you know they've released a couple of little images and things um and the next two things that we're shooting uh at, at netflix is Huck and the Magic Order, probably Magic Order first. Um, so we've been working on that really solidly for about a year. We've got an amazing showrunner on it. Um, the scripts are all great. We'll be out to casting inside the next few weeks, you know. Um, and the on the film side, um, what's the first one we're doing there? Prodigy. Prodigy is the first one we're doing on the film side. And then outside of Netflix, there's a couple of unusual things. Kind of like remember Fox 
used to have some Marvel properties. Mm -hmm. um, well, similarly, now a couple of studios have got Middleborough properties. Um, even though they're owned by Netflix now, they were still under contract for seven years with a studio. So we have Starlight over at uh, 20th oh. Century. And Joe Cornish has written the best screenplay for this. It's brilliant. And he's going to direct that later this year as well. So, oh, awesome. Um, so, oh, it's, it's going to be great. It's going to be really good. Yeah. And what's really nice is, you know, right now, people know Kick-Ass Kingsman, to some extent, Jupiter's Legacy. They'll know the American Jesus stuff, Prodigy, Magic Order, and Starlight. But over the next few years, all these things will all be made as shows or movies. So it means that Big Game is going to have real cultural impact, you know, because it's going to be all of these huge franchises all together in one thing. So, you know, we've got maybe seven of them in live action or whatever just now, you know, but you're going to, all 25 will be in live action over the next five plus years, you know. Uh, is ne is Nemesis anything you think would, would be adapted? Oh, Nemesis, we're really keen to do Nemesis. Uh, it's There's only three projects that are at other studios <clears throat> and Nemesis is at Warner Brothers, but it's coming back. I mean, I think we'll get Nemesis back probably early next year. And that means we can start working on it. That's a real priority project for us, though, because we even know the creative team that we want to put on it, writer and director and everything, you know. So so we're really, really keen to get Nemesis back. But we just have to wait until the seven-year contract expires, and then it comes back from Warner Brothers, and we, we get it at Netflix. But that would be a great movie. And that's another reason I wanted to reboot the series, because I knew we were serious about making the movie, and I wanted to have a, a better structure, you know, a, a story that actually just flows a little better, you know, and, and a better ending. And then, um, I mean, you've done it with Nemesis. Is there any other franchises you've thought about possibly rebooting? No, I think the rest I'm happy. I'm I'm happy with everything else, you know. Like, uh, yeah, they all, uh, yeah, they all kind of work. I think I'm quite happy with them. All. So, you know, I wanted to ask, you know, you're, you're writing like you often deal with like very you know complex and mature content. You know, like how when you're coming up with concepts, you make them accessible to like a wide range of fans and readers. I, I just write what I would read. You know, like uh, I mean. You never have to overthink this stuff too much. I, I always kind of think, I had a turning point when I was about 29, and I used to try and write comics that I thought people might like or, or that I thought was riding a wave or a trend. Um, and then I actually was leaving the business, actually, because I just couldn't get any traction. It was just not working for me at all. And I gave it one last try, and I thought, I'm going to see, because I was just getting proposals rejected continuously, you know? And then I wrote... Um, the first issue of The Authority, and I thought, I'm just going to... It's kind of like what Stan Lee did with Fantastic Four, where he just thought, I'm just going to do one and see what happens. You know, the industry might not be for me. I'm going to just try and do it my way and see what happens on the advice of his wife. And I tried the same thing. I just sat with Authority, and I thought, I'm just going to do a fun comic that I would read. And it went crazy. Like everybody loved it. And it's been, the you know, the best decision I ever made to do comics I would read. And it, it sounds such a no-brainer, doesn't it? You know, but... But I think you try and anticipate trends and everything, forget it. You know, just do a comic you would spend four bucks on or two bucks if it's one of mine. Yeah, I mean, look, the industry, just since I started reading, obviously, like I started, you know, in the midst of the speculator boom of the 90s yeah. was when I was reading comics, you know, got into it. And I've just watched the ups and downs, you know, yeah. and like watching the trends go. And how, so do you, when you're doing stuff, you said you do stuff the, the way you want to do it, what interests you. But do you yeah. pay attention to trends or is that something that you don't even pay attention to when coming up with concepts? You just like, you're off in your own corner and you're just going to do what you do. Yeah, my, my my 25 things that I wrote in that piece of paper, you know, I, I wasn't thinking about trends. I was just thinking what interests me, you know, 
And and I think your subconscious, not to keep going back to that, but it picks up the trend, you know? So if you're excited about something, it's, there's a reason that you're on a wave, that something's coming in. Like, for example, Starlight. Starlight could not be more timely in the sense that the the, the actor we're talking about was a really, really big 90s actor, you know, to, to play Duke McQueen, who's the old sort of Buck Rogers, the space hero kind of guy, you know? Um, but that 90s, when I wrote it, there was no 90s nostalgia wave, you know, but now we're in this post Top Gun Maverick, you know, like Tulsa King, Yellowstone, all these guys who we loved growing up are getting a second win now, you know, they're in their 60s and everybody wants to see these guys do something cool again. Now, I didn't think about that in 2015 when I wrote that book, but here we are now and exactly that and, and it is going to work really, really well. I think the timing's great. So sometimes you just got to trust it, you know, just it's like the force, you know, just sit, sit back and let it happen. Yeah. And uh, another thing that you've been doing recently is you started your own YouTube channel. Been interviewing some of the biggest names in comics, um, you yeah. know, spanning, you know, different different uh, decades and stuff like that. What was yeah. the kind of uh, idea and thought behind doing that? A couple of things. One is I love catching up with the guys, you know, because they're genuinely my friends, you know, and I and I, I live in another continent from most of them, you know, so and I don't have time to to travel the way I used to and go to lots of shows and things. Um, so it gives me a wee chance to catch up with pals, which is great. I mean, we kind of did this in lockdown, as tragic as that was, you know, that we would all have conversations on a computer instead of face to face. So it feels weirdly natural now to sit with a drink and just sit and talk to your pals. Um, and I also thought I love these guys, right? It's like People, people should be celebrating all of these guys, right? And I want a record of them in the future because some of them are old, you know, like some of the, there's a guy I want to talk to next week who's in his 80s, you know? It's like these guys will not be around forever. And I wish I wish there was a two-hour interview with some of the 1960s guys that I could just get my hands on, you know? So I, there's an oral history for so many other industries. I mean, look at all the music interviews you can get, you know, and big in-depth things. And there isn't much for comics, and yet comics is the cornerstone of modern pop culture. So I, I just I want to hear these guys talking in their own voice, talking to a peer, you know, somebody who's somebody they work with. So they let their guard down a little bit more as well. You know, if they're being interviewed by a journalist, they might be a little more guarded and only talk about the work. But they'll talk to me about their worries and their anxieties, you know, like Brian Hitch one of the greatest artists in the world, you know, freezes up, you know, he, used to, he was talking about that, like the fact that he feels his work's not good enough and everything. So it's all those kind of things that, it wouldn't have been amazing to see Jack Kirby or Steve Ditko oh, or somebody man. talking like this, you know? And so two hours also, it's a bit like Joe Rogan, you know, where the first 20 minutes or something, it might be kind of formal, but by the minute you're 90 minutes in, you're talking about, you know, do you believe in life after death and things like that? You know, it's like a, a night in the pub with your pals. And that's what I love. I love just getting the guys relaxed and just talking about who they really are. So are some of them like, I mean, obviously some of them are people you've worked with, obviously, um, you know, based on who you've chatted with, but are you seeking out people that there aren't interviews with that you just, you feel like you want to be that person that kind of did that interview that um, for the historical records and stuff like that? Um, maybe to some extent, you know, I, I think, I just think who's exciting to me, you know, so Travis, we had the book out this week, you know, mm -hmm. so Travis seemed a logical one, but at the same time, I've never seen an interview with Travis like, ever. And I only have seen one photo of Travis, so I didn't even quite know what he I didn't like. know what he looked like either. Yes. Yeah, so. <laughs> he's, he's not what I expected, you know, like he's so normal. I, I thought he'd be like, I don't know, a goth or something like that. I thought he'd be like a, a really <laughs> withdrawn kind of guy, you know, and he's just this really charming, nice dad who's in his early 50s, whatever, you know, just 
a, a good guy, you know, and like uh, grew up on a farm and everything, not what I expected. Um, and But that could be interesting in its own way too, isn't it? Because you have preconceived notions of comic book guys and then when you meet them, they might be a little different from what you had in your head, which is all, always kind of cool. Because actors, you know what they look like, but you might yeah. read a comic book writer for five years and you don't, you don't know what they look like. Alan Moore, I had in my head as a guy, a clean cut kind of guy, you know, and then I saw the <laughs> photograph and he looks like Rasputin, you know? Yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, just in terms of me doing this channel and like yeah. some people have interviews, but some there's not a lot. So like, you don't know yeah. what to expect. Like you, I've, I've seen you on camera, you know, I've watched your stuff. I've seen you on like the cartoons kayfabe. So like you kind of already get a feel, but yeah, there's some people I've talked to and I'm like, man, I had no idea they'd be like that, you know? <laughs> So I, I wanted to ask too, like, obviously, like, you've done your stuff at Marvel, you've done your stuff at DC. Um, yeah. Is there anything, any desire to ever want to do any concepts again? Or is that something that you feel like you've done it and you're and you're good and you just want to work on your own properties? Uh, well, it's funny you say that. Um, uh, you know, my contract is really tight at Netflix, you know, so I've got a certain amount of stuff I have to do. And I'm a producer as well, you know, so there's, there's quite a heavy workload. But I was in the Middle East a few months ago, a couple of months back, and I was out swimming in the sea. And while I was out in the sea, I was actually just thinking about um, like Marvel and DC. You know, like, you, you're always a fan, aren't you? You know, it never uh, leaves you. And and you do, you come up with an idea for Green Lantern or Justice League or something, you know, and you maybe jot it down. You think that might come in handy in five or ten years or whatever, you know, just write this down. But I had this whole Superman story come to me, beginning, middle, and end, while I was in the sea. Right. And like I, I swam back to the beach and I just got a pen and looked for paper, like, and started jotting it all down before it left me, you know. And it stayed with me. And I told my wife, and she says, Why, why would you do that? And I was like, Because I love it, you know, like I, I really love Superman. It's my favorite thing. And uh, and then I uh, I got home and I, I tweeted it, you know, I just said, Come up with a great Superman story, but God knows when I'll ever be able to write it. But then DC got in touch with me. And uh, Mary Javins, who runs DC, you know, and, and she said, like, are you serious about this? And I was like, yeah, totally, you know. I said, the next year is really intense at work, you know, next year or so. But I said, after that, I'm going to try and carve out a 12-week space and ask if I can go and do it and write this story. And I'll get somebody amazing, you know, like one, like if I'm coming back to do Superman at some point, you know, after years of not doing company on characters, it has to be the best artist in the world drawing it, like, or I'm not doing it, you know? So, like, I want somebody really great. So it's something I'm really proud of up on my shelf because Superman, you know, you got you got to make it brilliant. Oh, my God, I want that book. I, 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 I'll keep my fingers crossed. I mean, look, I mean, they've reached out to you, so obviously they're willing to do it. So that's something I'm definitely excited uh, to look forward to in the future. Uh, besides uh, the stuff that we know that's going on, a big game yeah. coming up, uh, is there any other projects that you can kind of tease or talk about maybe some artists that you're going to be working with? Um, I think Nightclub, Ambassadors, the current books, you know, um, Magic Order and um, Nemesis, they all wrap over the next couple of months. But it's been quite a, you know, I, I, I do less than two books a month. Generally, I do about, you know, 19 comics a year, I think is my average. So these have been building up for a little while, you know, um, and they've been released all at once. And then you get Big Game. Uh, coming out and the conclusion to Jupiter's Legacy that'll be that'll run out the rest of this year um, and then I'm going to take a little break in terms of publishing not a break in terms of writing but a little break in terms of publishing and I'm going to regroup I've, I've been putting feelers out to the artists I want to work with I mean there's guys I maybe said to five years ago 
do you fancy doing something? And they've said, yeah, I'm available in 2024. You know, so I'm going to be calling in those kind of things, you know? So like, uh, so no, there's nobody in stone yet, you know, but I kind of kind of know who I'm after, you know? Like, it's a very short list though, because whenever you only work with great guys, it feels diminishing, you know, to go and work with somebody who's not brilliant, you know? So I'm really spoiled, I'm super spoiled. So I'll, I'll wait, if I have to wait 18 months on somebody, I'll wait and I'll get the right person, you know? But like, uh, but so far, I mean, it's very rare I don't get the guy I'm going after, you know? The guys always have a good time when they're working on our books. Yeah, I mean, like I said, like all the books are great. They're all high quality. You know, I mean, like the writing, the art, you, you, it's the best of the best. So I'm super stoked for everything you got going on, all the adaptations coming out. Um, before I let you go, is there uh, anything you want to kind of promote to everybody listening and watching? Uh, you know, check out the YouTube channel. You know, like we do it for free. We don't put any ads or anything like this. You know, we we just love it. You know, and and I do. I mean, you know, the books are out there and everything. You know, but. But I just think there's guys who I loved so much growing up that it's like a total honor, you know, to get a couple hours of their time and just chat with them, you know. So there's guys who are my age who I've known for 20, 30 years and everything, you know. But then there's guys who I read when I was five, you know, and I'm lining these guys up, you know. I mean, I've, I've got about 50 of these so far that I've got plans, you know. And I'm just really looking forward to it, you know. Like, you know, when you're sitting in Scotland in your bedroom reading a, a comic, you know, and then... 40 years later, you're talking to these guys. It's like, you know, that's that's as cool as it gets, isn't it? You know, so so just as a fan, you know, I would just say to other fans, check this stuff out because I think, I mean, I know it sounds weird because I'm a Hollywood executive, right? But I think it's, people are forgetting how cool comics are, you know? And I really want people to stop thinking of it as a stepping stone to Hollywood, weirdly, right? Because I'm in Hollywood and I'm I'm doing the step back as often as I can because co comics is brilliant, right? It's, it's It pays really well. It's great fun to do. You're working on stuff that doesn't have to think about a budget. You know, you it's just your imagination. And it's usually just you and your pal and a pencil, right? You know, it's like, it, it doesn't get much better than that. It's so uncomplicated. There's no politics to it and everything, you know? So I, I just think, get into the joy of comics again. Stop all the stupid comics culture wars and all these ridiculous witch hunts and all this, these things and all that, you know, and just enjoy the fact that, you know, think about what you've got in common with these people instead of what divides you, you know, like, I remember walking into a convention for the first time when I was 13 and it was like Valhalla to me, you know, like I just found the place I was meant to be, you know, just remember how fun comics is, get back into it. Yeah, I totally agree. And what, what, a, what a great way to end this, Mark. I want to thank, we both want to thank you so much for yes, taking the time you. to chat with us. We would both, I know both of us would be really stoked to have you back on again sometime in the future. Anytime. You know what I am? Yeah, especially after a big game. Let's see how many <laughs> questions you have then. You know? Give me a shout. Yeah, let's do it. The week big game comes out. We'll do another one then because then I can properly talk. Ah, about perfect. It. Yeah. Sounds, sounds great. All right, Mark. Thank you so much. We'll talk soon. All the best, guys. Thank you so much, Mark. Have a good day. Thank you. You too. See you guys. All right.